Uh, today we're going to look at Acts chapter 27 through 28 verse 10. Uh, the sermon format is going to be just a little bit different today. I was uh, studying this week and trying to figure out how to lay out the sermon and what that would look like. And there's really no good way to move through this chapter without just moving through the chapter. Uh, and as I read Acts 27, it is a chapter you're really supposed to get lost in. It sums up the book of Acts. Uh, this journey from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And it is written that you would get lost in the details, that you would get lost in the way that the Dr. Luke is telling the story. And so we're going we're gonna to read through uh, the beginning of the sermon, verse by verse, and make some comments and application, and then uh, make the main application of the sermon at the end. But we're going to go through uh, chapter 27 and into, verse 20, into chapter 28 today. Uh, I'll remind you, uh, the book of Acts is about Jesus acting. Jesus dies on the cross. He is raised from the dead. He ascends to the right hand of God. Uh, he, before he does that, he assembles his disciples together and he says, I want you to go into all the world and tell the world that I am raised from the dead and that I am God's king. And I'm going to give you my spirit to do that, the power of my spirit. And so they begin in Jerusalem and they begin to move to the ends of the earth by the power of the spirit. It is Jesus acting, taking his church to the ends of the earth from Jerusalem to Rome to Spain to Richmond. That is the story that we find in the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 27 is a voyage that really begins to sum up the book. And so if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word, I'm going to read to begin our time together beginning in verse 21 through verse 26. Hear the Word of the Lord. Since, we, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not sailed from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all who, who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Oh God, I pray today that we would see the, the sovereign work of Jesus as we move through this chapter together. God, help us see the, the glory uh, of your story that you are telling from Genesis to Revelation. From, from the moment you spoke um, things into existence to the moment Jesus will rule all things under his feet. God, help us just... Help us be enamored and overwhelmed that you allow us to be a part of your story. God, would we know and worship and serve Jesus even more faithfully as we think about where we fit in your plans and purposes for human history. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, I told you we're going to do things a little different today, but before we, we get into the text, I need to personally repent to uh, John Martin this morning. Uh, if you know John and you're, you're reading through the chapter right now, you know John really likes to sell. That's his hobby. That's the thing that he likes to do. And over the last few years, he has bought uh, a couple sailboats and he's really into that. And to be honest with you, it's kind of weird to me, sailing. Uh, and the first time he asked me to go sailing with him, I said, John, I don't know in Kentucky if it's right for two men to go sailing together. <laughs> you know, I grew up in Tennessee on a bass boat with, uh, you know, a 275 Evinrude on the back and you fly across the water. There's no motor on that thing. I don't know if folks in Kentucky, how they would look on us going sailing together. And then I went with him last summer and we, we get on the boat and John's all this, you know, I'm thinking this is sailing. This is a relaxing Sunday afternoon. And John is running from one end. It's, it's a pretty large boat. One end of the boat to the other. And he's grabbing ropes and he's tying things. And he's here, grab this pole and here, put this up. And he's cranking these gears. And he is, it's in the middle of summer and he is covered in sweat. And he looks at me and says, isn't this fun? And I'm, no, you are stressing me out. And uh, as I've studied this chapter, I realized that sailing is actually a very manly thing to do. And I need to repent of, to John this morning for ever questioning that. Uh, John says it's God's way to travel. It's the way Jesus traveled, with sailing. And there is an art to it. Um, you are solely dependent on wind and God to carry you where you need to go. And that's exactly what we find in Acts chapter 27. Except here, Paul will not end up on, on a little sailboat. It's a massive ship. And it's full of massive anchors and massive sails. Uh, there will end up, he will be on a boat with close to 300 passengers. And, and this uh, trip, which should take about five weeks, ends up taking four months. And Luke writes it in a way that even expert shipmen would look on and be amazed that this group of folks make it through. There's one historian who writes a similar story uh, of 600 people on a ship of similar size, and it wrecks in the same way that we'll see, and only 80 people survive. And that's why many people read this story and think, no, Luke was making that up. They could not have survived this. But we see as we move through this chapter, there's something else at work here, and it is the promise of Jesus. Jesus promised Paul he would go to Jerusalem, he would be arrested there, and he would eventually preach the gospel in Rome. Paul goes to Jerusalem. He's arrested in Jerusalem. He stays there almost three years in prison preaching the gospel, standing trial. And you would think the story is about over in Caesarea when he stands before a Roman governor and he appeals to Caesar. And everybody says, why are you doing that? You could have gotten off if you hadn't appealed to Caesar. And yet he does. And he is being sent to Rome to stand before Caesar from Caesarea. And we see that on the map here. And you'll notice, first of all, they begin to move north and then eastward on the map. 
Just keep that in mind as we read through the chapter together. Verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Now this uh, centurion was a Roman general over 100 soldiers, and it seems as at least there's going to be 100 soldiers on the ship with Paul as he heads to Rome. And embarking in a ship of Adramedium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea. And so they're headed east, and first of all, they're on a much smaller boat headed up the coast. But notice, accompanied by Artigas, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Now you remember earlier in Acts, and we know from the history of Thessalonica, that this was a man who served with Paul, and it was a man who was willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And here, it's very likely that he is imprisoned with Paul, headed to Rome. Verse 3, the next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Now they're moving up the coast here and they get to this place where where they're, they're about to head across the sea and this centurion says, Paul, why don't you go see your friends? Why don't you go get supplies from, from, from your companions for the trip? And we've seen this throughout the book of Acts where Luke makes so much of friendship. And when you're on mission together, friendship is formed. Community is formed. That's why we say around here, if you want fellowship, don't aim for fellowship, aim for mission. Serve Jesus. Get on mission with Jesus. And Jesus will provide you friends. He will provide you relationship. And here's what we see here with Paul as he's headed to Rome. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And we're going to see this throughout. Winds come against the ship and they move along islands. They move along coasts to protect them from the wind. Verse 5. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. And there the centurion found a boat of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. And so they've been looking for this larger ship and they come across one that is headed to Italy with Egyptian grain. And this was very important in the Roman world. This was very important to their commerce. And this would have been a massive ship that the soldiers and prisoners would have fit on. Verse 7. And we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty at Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete and Salmon, coasting along it with difficulty. And we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Now, here we see they head out and immediately there's the indication that there's going to be difficulty. And so what are they doing? They're sailing behind these islands. They are, the islands and these coasts are providing barrier from the wind. And yet it's still very difficult and they end up on Crete where we know Paul has preached the gospel before in a place called Fairhaven. And yet, we know from history, this was a very sarcastic way to refer to this place. It wasn't a fair haven. Winds and rain came, and this is a great day for it to be raining. 
with the sermon. Wind and waves came in on this place, and it wasn't a good place, as Paul will note, to stay for the winter. Verse 9, since much time had passed, and notice the voyage was now very dangerous, they can see what's ahead because even the fast was already over. Now the fast here is the Day of Atonement. It happened in late September, early October, and this wasn't a time in winter where you traveled. It was very dangerous to travel during this time. You were disposed, They should have stayed the winter there in Fairhaven. Notice Paul advises this, verse 10, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be, without, will be with injury and much loss. Not only the cargo and the ship, but also the lives. And so Paul is probably standing there with this centurion who's in charge and with the man who owns the ship. And he's saying, man, you're going to lose this grain. You're going to lose your money. And he's saying to, to, to the Roman soldier, you're probably going to lose lives and soldiers. And this was just a common sense idea from the Apostle Paul. He's not being inspired by the Spirit to say that. Paul had sailed a lot. It, he writes to the Corinthians that he had been shipwrecked three times. And Paul sees another shipwreck coming. He sees what's before them. And he says, guys, I don't think we should do this. Verse 11. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship. They ignore Paul. And then verse 12, And because the harbor was not suitable for the winter, the majority decided to put into the sea. Now, there was a vote, and everybody says, No, let's keep going. On the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. And so this is a place where they can spend the winter, not at Fairhaven. And all they want to do at this point is to move about 33 miles east. That's all they need to do. It would have taken just a few hours to get to where they want to go. Verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently... Notice how it starts out. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose. What it means is they, they start sailing and the centurion looks at Paul and says, you idiot, look at the sea, look at the wind. Ain't nothing going to happen to us. This is great sailing weather. And they waited the anchor and sailed along Crete. That's probably a mistake. They pull up the anchor. They put this ship on cruise control. And they are headed up the shore. Verse 14. But soon, a tempestuous wind called a northeastern struck down from the land. Now this was a terrible winter storm that would have come over the mountains of Crete and at times it would have had snow, it would have had ice in it and sailors feared this storm more than any other storm. Somebody asked me what we were going to do Friday night when the tornado is around the polar expedition and I said I guess we're going to have a northeastern because we're going to be in the middle of the polar expedition and there is a tornado flying across this building. Very similar to what goes on here with Paul. Some of y'all didn't get that. Verse 15. <laughs> and when the ship was caught, Grant did, <laughs> and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. 
running under the lee, again, protection, cover of a small island called Cauda. And we managed with difficulty to secure the boat ship. And so again, wind blows in and they are carried off course here, some probably 20 miles off course. And they find another island that they can slow down, but they can't stop there. And so they begin to bring in the, 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 the boats on the side of the ship, the lifeboats, that's what that's called. They begin to bring those in and they begin to hoist those up because they realize they are in trouble. Verse 17, and after hoisting it up, they use supports to undergird the ship. These sailors realize what they are in for and they begin to wrap ropes around the boat, securing the boat in case they run ashore. They don't want this boat to be splintered up. Then fearing, notice, that they would run aground on citrus, they lowered the gear. They lower the mainsail and they probably put an anchor out at this point to help guide them. And thus they were driven along. So whatever they do here, it is not solving the problem. They are being carried wherever the wind wants to take them. And since we were violently storm-tossed, now the words used here are, are like a typhoon. It's like a hurricane that they are in the midst of. This isn't just some storm that's going to pass. These are raging winds. This is water that's overcoming the boat and they cannot get away from it and they cannot control the ship. One writer says they are like a cork on water. They are going wherever the water, wherever the wind, wherever the waves want them to go. And they began the next day to jetson, toss cargo, the, the grain that would have been so expensive, they've got to get rid of it. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard, things that they would need, gear. They began to throw that overboard. This is becoming a very, very expensive trip. Can you imagine close to 300 prisoners, soldiers, sailors, frantically running about this ship, throwing things overboard. They are losing their balance. They are being slammed into the side of the ship and they are scared to death. And then verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us. There's no break in the clouds. It's just constant rain and wind for day after day after day. They don't even know what day it is. Notice all hope of being saved was abandoned. They are huddled together ready to die. And then as we read earlier, Paul stands up and talks. And the first thing he says is, y'all should have listened to me. What do you think about my advice now? And this isn't necessarily a, I told you so. We shouldn't take this into our conflict resolution. I told you so strategies. Paul is simply saying, I, I was right, and God has raised him up as a credible leader on this ship. Now think about that. You have sailors, you have the owner of the ship, you have the captain, and you have the Roman government present, and they're listening to the prisoner. And God has done all of that so that they would listen to Paul. They're in an awful state with no hope, no land in sight. And yet God has put him there. And what is he going to say? Yet now I urge you to take heart. There will be no loss of life among you. 
but only the ship. And I'm sure the owner of the ship goes, oh, man, we're not going to die, but my ship's gone. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And this is the reminder of the promise. You're going to take the gospel to Rome. This is what Paul always wanted to do. Read the first chapter of Romans. I long to be with you to the Romans. I long to preach the gospel in Rome. And Jesus said, you're going to preach the gospel in Rome. And here he's reminded of the promise from a messenger from God himself, the God whom I serve. And he said, don't be afraid. I'm going to fulfill my promise. And he said, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we will run aground on an island. Now, there is supposed to be some allusions to Jonah here. If you remember the story of Jonah, Jonah is on a ship and he is being tossed about. The, 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 the passengers on the ship are scared for their lives and the way they calm the sea is they throw the prophet in. And yet the opposite is happening here. Paul says the only way we're going to make it is because I'm here. And he's not hiding from God. He is on a mission from God. It is the God whom I serve and I worship who has told me this is going to happen. I'm going to stand before Caesar and the only way you're going to make it is because I am aboard. Verse 27, and when the 14th night, now 14 days and nights, two weeks on a ship at sea, tossed, raging winds, scared for your life. When is this going to end? When this had come, they were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. Sailors understand these things. Now, at this point, after two weeks, the boat had probably been blown 470 miles off course. And these men really didn't have any idea where they were. But they began to understand, we are heading to land. And so what do these sailors do? They took, uh, they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. And a little farther on, they took another sounding, which was 15 fathoms. And I had to ask John what this was this week. And what it is, is they threw out ropes and then pulled the ropes in to see how high the water was. And the depth of the water here has gone from 125 feet to 90 feet. And they realize they're about to crash into land. And what do these sailors do? Fearing that we may run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. This was a way of guiding the boat even better with these anchors. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out the anchors from the bow. Now, these sailors realize they're about to crash. Hey, guys, we're going to go put out the anchors. And they go and they get in the lifeboats. And Paul realizes what's going on. And notice he says, verse 31, the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men, these are professional sailors, unless they stay on the ship, we won't be saved. It's one thing for Jesus to tell me I'll make it to, to Rome. It's another thing to be fools and idiots. We need these sailors aboard. Don't let them leave the ship. So notice what they do. Then they 
Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship. Ain't nobody getting off the boat. Nobody's leaving. We're all in this together. Verse 33. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day, and that you have continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. So they are rationing food up to this point, not eating, because they're scared they're going to die. And Paul says, no, we're going to live, so eat. Verse 35, and when they had said these things, he took bread. This is a beautiful picture. And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it. Where have we heard that before? And he began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. Now, this is a beautiful picture of Paul providing for these men. And there are allusions here to Jesus feeding the 5,000. There's also allusions here to the Lord's Supper. Paul's not having the Lord's Supper with these men, but as we read in the text and we see he takes the bread and he breaks it, there is the reminder the only way they're going to make it is the presence of Christ. The presence of the promise is on the ship. Notice verse 38, And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship. 276 people eat. There's a lot of food. That's gone from the ship. And then they began to throw the wheat into the sea. And now it was day and they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach and on which they had planned, if possible, to run ashore. And so the sailors, the captain, probably very disoriented at that point. They see something ahead. We are about to hit land. That's a place where we can run ashore. And, and they begin to make preparation for this. Verse 40, they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudder. And so they cut these anchors and now they're just going to use the rudder. And they hoisted the foresail to the wind. This was the sail that gave them direction. You could drive better with this sail. Verse 41. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. And the bow struck, the bow struck, stuck and remained immovable. And the stern was being broken by the surf. And so they stick this boat into land and then these waves and wind continued to destroy. And remember, this was a massive boat. And so now what are you going to do? We're on this boat. Our lives are at stake. Do you jump in the raging water? Do you get out of the boat? It's time to abandon ship. Verse 42. And everybody begins to jump off the boat. And notice what the soldiers do. They plan to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. That was their job. That's what they were supposed to do. There were to be no prisoners who were, who, who were to escape. And so what do you do? Well, we have to kill them or they would be killed by the Roman government. Verse 43, But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, who is the one all the way along who is keeping the ship safe? Paul. Who is the one who is keeping the prisoners safe? Paul. Who is the one who at the end of the day the promise will be made, has been made to Paul and they will all be safe? Notice as they continue. He was wishing to save Paul. He kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and first make it to land. Now that's a risk. 
Are these men going to stay together? Are we going to be able to see these prisoners again? He could lose his life, but he's risking it for Paul at this point. In verse 44, And the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safe to land. Isn't that amazing? No one died. They were all brought safe to land. You have 276 men swimming, 276 men floating on planks and boards in the sea, and they all make it to land. And just when you catch your breath, you think, oh, the adventure is over. This is amazing that, that you see up ahead a group of islanders standing to wait these, receive these men. Notice verse 1. And after they were brought safely, we learned that the island was called Malta, this land. It was this exotic island about 17 miles long and 9 miles wide. And this would not have been on MapQuest. As they set out, this would not, they wouldn't even known this island existed. No one ever really went this way. And so they see these barbaric native people, verse 2. And they showed us unusual kindness. They kindled a fire and welcomed us because it had begun to rain and it was cold. Now, they say it's unusual kindness. These people were called barbarians because of the way they talked. They were uncouth. They were uncultured. You couldn't understand what they said. And they're standing there and you're thinking, are they going to kill us? Are they going to eat us? What is going to happen? Oh, this fire is for us? You're not going to roast us? This is like when you go to Tennessee. You can't believe people in Tennessee are that kind. Wow. I thought y'all were some crazy, uncouth rednecks. No, there are some cultured folks in Tennessee too. Verse 3. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, this has probably been a massive fire, a viper came. And just, it's like just when you think everything's good, they're on the island, He's going to get another boat and sail to Rome. A viper, a viper, a snake came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. He's safe and sound. And then there's another twist. We see that in the life of Paul. He preaches the gospel. He gets stoned. He wakes up. He goes and preaches the gospel. He's imprisoned. He gets out of prison. He goes and preaches the gospel and he's beaten. He makes it out of the Sanhedrin and then he stands before the Roman governors. And every way we see he gets out of a jam, he's right back into another. He, he escapes the wind and the rage of the sea and now he has a snake hanging off of his arm. And when the native people saw this creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, they say, this is karma. This is a prisoner on the ship. He must be a murderer. And they're whispering, why, is there, why does he have a snake hanging off of his arm? The gods are after him. And notice verse 5. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And so Paul says, what is this, a snake? And he throws it back in the fire. Nothing happens. And they were waiting for him to swell up and to suddenly fall dead. They think it's a poisonous snake. 
But when they waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, Oh, he's not a criminal. He's a god. He is from the gods. Snake bites don't even affect him. Let's take him to our leader. And this is sort of a scene, looks like a scene out of Gilligan's Island where he just sort of gets out of every jam and all of a sudden they think he's some king from the gods. Verse 7, Now in the neighborhood, just happened to be in the neighborhood of that place, were lands belonging to the chiefman of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Take us to your leader, this king, this chief, providing for them, taking care of them for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. He's sick. He has a stomach virus. He's dying. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. Now, the legend of Paul just keeps growing. Survived the sea, survived the snake bite. And now he's healing this chiefman's father, who was sick and dying. And so what happens? Verse 9, When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And they honored us greatly. We were the heroes of the island. And when we were about to sell, they put, they put on board whatever we needed. And so they become heroes of Malta. And, and, and those, Luke, Paul, their companions, those who are there healing, preaching the gospel, they become heroes. Now remember in the book of Acts, these healings are signs that point to the kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus will forgive you of your sins and there is a day coming where the kingdom of Jesus will reverse the effects of sin and death in the world, will reverse all sickness and disease. And we see in the book of Acts, there's a sign of the kingdom. And so it's obvious here, Paul preached the gospel in Malta. So we ask the question, why is this in our Bible? Why, why so much detail to this story? Why is it there? Paul goes from a blasphemer to a prisoner to a prophet to being shipwrecked and cursed from a fugitive to the status of a deity. This is like some sanctified Jack Sparrow. Always getting out. And yet it's for the sake of the gospel. Why is this in our Bible? And we read this and we realize this is where the temptation to make Christian action figures come from. And can you imagine Apostle Paul, Malta series, with a little boat, a, hand, a, a detachable snake on his arm? <laughs> but why is it here? Some people this week I was reading, they said, this is all about great leadership. The Apostle Paul was a great leader. I mean, he was a prisoner on a ship empowered by the Spirit of God. As I read the life of Apostle Paul, I don't see a lot of great leadership skills. I just see a man. He is full of grit and he's going to preach the gospel wherever he has. He is a great Christian leader because he witnesses whatever it witnesses in whatever situation he's in. But this isn't about some Christianized comic book or leadership skills. This is about a promise Jesus made in the beginning of the book of Acts. 
And he says, this gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. It's going to begin in Jerusalem. It's going to move to Samaria. It's going to move even into pagan cultures like Rome. It's going to keep moving even on into Spain. And he turns and he looks at Paul along the way and he says, you're going to make it to Rome. All of this, the wind, the waves, the gusts, the ship, the sail, the oars, the anchors, it is all about the promise. The, the islanders who don't eat them, the snake that Paul survives. It is all about the promise of Jesus. He is giving us a story here so that we see this is all about Jesus. Paul wouldn't turn around to us and say, Jesus is my co-pilot. No, he would say Jesus is sovereign creator over every molecule, over every gust of wind, over the decisions of men to sail from this port to that port, over the weight of every anchor, the weight of every chain, the sails that were hoisted at the right time. Jesus is sovereign over all of that. And Jesus decided to save some pagan, barbarian, Malta, Maltons, whatever. And Jesus took me there to preach the gospel because He's sovereign creator. This is all in the plan of God to get the gospel to Malta and then on to Rome. And here's a point of application. As you read that story, you're not just to stand back and go, wow, that's cool. Wow, that's amazing. No, you are to remember you're in the middle of the story. That's what we've been telling you all along. This story hasn't ended. You are right in the middle of the adventures of Jesus taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And here's the point. It can't be stopped. There's nothing that will stop Jesus' promise to save people from every tribe, every nation, every people. Nothing! We know the end of the story in Revelation where there are people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation and they are standing before Jesus as king, serving him forever. Jesus has already told us his story cannot be defeated. His promise won't stop. And so here is the application for you. You can be successful at a lot of things that don't matter in life. Think about that. You can look around your life and say, what, I, what am I really successful at? And then ask the question, will this matter a million years from now? You know how terrifying that is for me? Just to think, man, the things I give my days over, does this matter? The even good, neutral things that aren't bad, aren't sin, and should be folded into the purposes of God that you give yourself over. And some of those good things you're distracted by. But the point here is the degree that you latch your life to the promise of God, your purpose can't be stopped because it's Jesus's purpose. You know what Jesus said to Paul? You're going to make it to Rome because I'm going to Rome. And if you're going with me, we're going to Rome. That's where we're going. We'll go through raging seas. We'll be shipwrecked. We'll preach the gospel to these islanders. And then we'll go to Rome on my timetable when I want to get there. And when you are latched to walking with Jesus to the ends of the earth, that is the one thing in your life that you will be eternally successful at. There will be eternal dividends for that. And so you look and you say, where are my dead ends in life? Where are the things that can be taken away from me? 
that, that wind and waves can destroy and they're no more. Am I giving myself over to those things in vanity? Or are even those things used for the greatest thing, the mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Paul also here on Malta gives us a very vivid picture of the gospel. Because the reality is, Paul was a murderer. Do you remember that? Acts chapter 9, Paul is God's greatest enemy. Paul was the man Jesus looked into his eyes and said, Why are you persecuting me? How was he persecuting him? He was killing Christians. Christians were stoned at the feet of Paul as an act of worship and honor to Paul. Paul was a murderer. And so the islanders are right. He deserves justice. He deserves the judgment of God. And yet we stand back and we say, no, the justice of God for Paul was taken by another. And, and, and God could have allowed Paul to die from a snake bite. He's not calling us to start a snake handling ministry. If y'all do that here, I'm, I'm going somewhere else. That ain't happening. Scared to death of snakes. That's not what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to look here and see the gospel. The gospel, the fire of the gospel brings to life the forces of darkness and yet they have no power over us. And here for Paul, the curse of judgment had been taken by another. It is Jesus who was pierced with the venom of sin and death. It was Jesus who began to swell and bloat in a tomb for three days. And Jesus walked out and Jesus turns to us and says, the same promise is true to you. Even if you're shipwrecked or snake bitten, when you believe in me, there's no justice coming for you. Justice has already taken place on the cross. And there's a sign of the gospel here. That's good news for us who, who believe in the cross. And what God is telling us here is when you believe that witness of the gospel, when you trust in Jesus, when you lock arms with His plan and purpose, you may be shipwrecked. You may be shipwrecked. But you will not be destroyed. And wherever you are, little secluded islands in the middle of nowhere, you're right where God wants you to be to witness the truth of the promise. Let's pray.